and welcome. This is another episode of Cross Street Coaching, a show where we discuss career development, personal and professional growth, and leadership from a coach's point of view. We are actually in the last couple episodes of our leadership series. We've had several good discussions about leadership journeys, leadership philosophies, lessons learned. So all things leadership this season, which brings me to my guest today in the virtual studio with me today is Maddie Gupta. Hi, Jason. How are you doing today? Good. Welcome, Maddie. It's my pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're glad to have you on. So tell us, how do you like to be introduced? Well, uh, so I am a marketing strategist and I have worked with advertising agencies globally um, across a few different geographies now uh, for the last 16 years. So it's been a long journey and I have a couple of, um, you know, master's degrees under my belt. So I like to be a practical yet theoretically strong uh, strategist. Interesting. And a couple of master's degrees. Is that is that common amongst your peers? Not really, <laughs> which is why I, I think I've always like to mention the um, the fact that I went ahead and got those couple of degrees simply because I really wanted to become a specialist in a few different spaces. And I think as a strategist, you need to, you know, show up with um, top of the level education and expertise in the areas you're talking about. And a master's degree helps you do that. So, yeah. Yeah, so let's let's kind of start there and talking about your journey and how right. you got to leadership. So, how did you know that you wanted to get this kind of dual degree? Did you get them both at the same time or did you kind of start and come back? Tell us a little bit more about your education before you got into leadership. Absolutely. So, I got my first degree right after my undergrad that was an MBA and that was from India. And it's interesting because I did not have any work experience. I had done a few summer jobs. So when I went into the MBA degree, I had no idea what was sort of going to come and hit me. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was very uh, interesting because I was sort of like playing it by year, sort of seeing how things uh, shake out. Um, and it was such a practical degree, yet I had no practical experience. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting mishmash of like almost learning in the degree rather than learning on the job. So um had an interesting experience and then worked for about 10 years and then got my second master's degree. And this time around, I sort of uh, created my own degree. I went to NYU. Um, I did a few courses in human rights, a few courses in culture and um, cultural studies and media studies, a few courses in digital marketing. So I sort of went around the whole university and cherry picked things that I enjoyed. And this time around, I, I think my second degree actually was more helpful for me to sort of, you know, take a step back and see what areas interest me and then curate the courses that I really was interested in and excited about. Yeah. So, Maddie, so you are saying that you took your initial MBA and you Mm -hmm. know you had a lot of theoretical but not practical. So you spend about 10 years in the field. Yep. Still working with marketing. Yep. All the time. And then going back and getting this second degree that sounds more like the kind of salad bar, right? You're choosing mm-hmm. just kind of what interests you. And what was your motivation at the time? Was it, were you thinking about how to enhance, 
you know, what you were working on? Were you just hungry for more knowledge? What was motivating you? I think it was interesting because I felt like I hadn't done justice to, you know, that side of me, the side that appreciated, you know, a lot of that formal knowledge base and understanding. And as a strategist, like I mentioned before, you know, you need that kind of expertise in the field. So it was a little bit of rounding out both the practical as well as the theoretical side of things. So, um, of course, leaning in heavy into the theory, but also gaining a lot more practical experience because I had the uh, ability and I did my second master's in US. And this way around, I had that minute to absorb the culture around me, not, you know, as a marketing strategist, you're always working with culture and seeing what are the new trends, what are the new signals, and how can you best leverage them. So that two year also gave me an opportunity to like really sink in and understand what's, you know, grabbing people's attention these days. For those that are kind of like new or familiar or aren't familiar with marketing strategies, kind of talk about what it is that your department, your role produces, and how the education, like really impacted the work that you're doing once you went for round two, right? You loved it yeah. so much that you went through, went again and had this great kind of experience. How did that feedback into the work that you were doing? Absolutely. So it's interesting. Um, if you understand how advertising and marketing work is basically a lot of times you have all these marketeers, be it P&G, Nestle, any of these big ones. So let's say you have a um, project on Pepsi, right? And mm-hmm there is the halftime show coming up. You want to advertise about the fact that there are going to be all these great legends that are going to be performing around it. So the client has obviously a problem, you know. Let's say we want to advertise and let the word out that, you know, these five great artists are going to be coming together. Now, that's when they come to an advertising agency and basically understand what is it that's going to click with the consumer in order to make that connection, in order to make that story come alive. And that's the role of the strategist within the advertising agency where we are the voice of the consumer. We understand what is uh, grabbing people's attention today, what's happening in culture that we can leverage, right? Um, There is so much conversation um, around Black Lives Matter, knowing fully well that, you know, Black History Month and Super Bowl is going to be within um, February. So why not leverage all those conversations. So we are basically trying to map out what's happening outside of the brand that we can leverage and pull into um, the, into this uh, campaign, into this conversation that we are going to have with consumers. So it basically helps you bridge that uh, gap between what the client and the brand wants to put out there, as well as what is the consumer looking for. So a lot of the work that I did, even in university and going back to college, was just really trying to understand how do you read culture? How do you codify it and and sort of create ways of thinking about it critically, right? You can sort of always get into anything and have a point of view, but a critical point of view is far more understanding of what are the long-term repercussions of what you put out there, right? So as a strategist, you know, having that formal knowledge always helps you sort of 
think through things in the long term. Whereas in the practical sense, you really need to know what's happening in the now. How do I jump on this? Like, what do I do next? Right. So there is just the sort of foundation of all of that I have learned and all the new sort of city building that I'm doing with everything new and exciting that's happening in our culture. Yeah, that's a cool way to describe marketing as kind of a parallel conversation, one that the client is having with the customer or with the public. And then the second one is that meta conversation about how to get there, how to convey that. And so that's really cool. And at this time in your career, were you leading yet or were you still an individual contributor? Um, I was leading. Uh, I have a, you know, a fantastic squad of strategists that I work closely with. Um, I'm a VP of um, strategy at Vayner Media. Uh, mm-hmm. That's Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, advertising agency. Uh, and we're working very closely with really big uh, players out there. And I have a team of five uh, strategists that report into me. And a lot of that work um, is interesting. I know in the tech world, there are individual contributors versus management. Whereas mm-hmm. in the advertising agency land, you are an individual contributor because you need all hands on deck more mm-hmm. often than not. But there is the management because, you know, it's otherwise you, you're running so very often for everything that unless someone is able to guide and navigate you to where that destination is, uh, it feels almost like a headless chicken race, right? So there is a bit of management built in and um, I oversee this squad of amazing strategists in my world today. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about what leadership looks like in marketing, because I think that in in several of our episodes before, it's easy to have the pop culture view of right. you know for a lot of our guests. So when people think of marketing and advertising, they probably think of like Mad Men, where there's one person at the top and they go, all right, we need to solve this. And then a bunch of uh, you know interns get to work and then they come back and they make this presentation. But the picture you're painting is that it that this type of leadership and the, the organizational culture is a little bit different than what traditionally people think of. And you gave the example of IT. So talk to us about what leadership is like in your industry. And we'd love to hear more about your specific take on it. Absolutely. And it's interesting. So for the longest time, I think, um, again, talking about tech, talking about all these big uh, sort of corporate uh, entities that we work with, it's very top down. Right. And therefore, Mm -hmm. the words that very often get associated with a leader is someone who has confidence, someone who has charisma, someone who can sort of uh, set the vision. All of that still makes sense. All the check boxes. All all of those boxes you have to definitely check. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think what's interesting, especially because we are in the people business, things like compassion. Things like collaboration, empowerment, and empathy are buzzwords that are actually being activated today in leadership positions, in places where you are managing teams, where you are impacting not just the relationship within your crew, but also working closely with clients and sort of... and sometimes working with clients that are that top-down sort of leadership and trying to bring them to the other side, right? And I think what's very interesting about that set of words like compassion, like collaboration, is that's how we would want to talk to our consumers, to our customers, right? So we're bringing some of those ethics 
into our ways of working as well. And it's interesting because I think what's happening is this is also an extremely young industry, right? Mm-hmm. I sometimes feel even with 16 years of experience, I'm working with people with, you know, literally 0.1 years of experience. They're fresh out of grad school and they are the ones who've been creating TikTok. They are the ones who have been launching five podcasts every day. So telling them about marketing by telling them about something that happened 50 years back <laughs> does not help like create a you know a working relationship even sure so i think you have to sort of come down to um that level where there is a dialogue where there's an equal exchange happening right so i think the that madman version of things um is completely been thrown out of the window in the last at least 10 years Gotcha. So it's a, it's a very antiquated picture. And today with kind of all the new things that are happening and the new mediums that you're sending messages, it's almost as if some of the old ways and the old kind of um, things you would find in the textbooks, they may not have that direct one-to-one relation. Yep. 100%. And I think those are good to keep in mind. I would definitely say, yes, you should be the one setting the vision. You should have confidence and you should be able to action things. Yes, all of those leadership qualities are still important. But I think the delivery of a lot of those have changed. And especially as a woman of color, I feel like bringing in that soft skills, those, you know, touches where we are actually being empathetic, being compassionate, sort of trying to understand that everyone has a different style of working, different style of learning. You can't sort of, you know, just follow the textbook definition. And you have to sort of understand this is a two-way street, right? You're going to put in as much as you get out, right? You're going to learn as much as you lead. So I think it's, it's interesting how the dynamic has definitely changed. Yeah. And so as you're kind of, you know, you, you obviously identified, um, as a person of color and as a female, and then also leading in an industry that where things are rapidly changing, you know, when you think about the, the way that you're leading, is that an exciting time? Is that a nerve wracking, you know, especially if you're using some of the really core big concepts, compassion, empathy, you know, we talk about those a lot, but there's still a very kind of unique spin to the team and the direction that you're leading them. Yeah, no, such a lovely question, especially given, I think the other buzzword everyone is talking about is imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone talks about the fact that like from leaders to people you're working with, everyone's sort of having a minute where they're questioning whether what they're doing is really um, breakthrough. Is it really going to be the next big thing out there? And I think what's very interesting about, you know, being and working in this time is that you have to battle your own imposter syndrome because there are no rules almost written for how you need to work, what you need to do. So there is, it's a little bit of instinct coming in, right? A lot of what I told you about, like the theory of it definitely holds true, but there is a lot of like what's happening right now that needs to come alive. And then on the other side is, you know, sort of knowing fully well, like there is there is a lot of realism, right? It's a lot of authenticity has to come through. So there has to be, you need to know what's happening right now in people's life. There is, 
I, I don't know if you've read this book called um, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And there is this amazing concept that you have to challenge people directly, right? Mm-hmm while caring deeply. And I find that uh, juxtaposition so very interesting today because you have to be able to speak out and course correct, right? But also be able to care very deeply. And that that balance is something you have to strike pretty much every moment in every conversation you're having. So you can't simply sort of be like, oh, I'm a leader. I can sort of put <laughs> on my throne and, you know, work things as they do. Like, no, you have to lean in and really get going. Yeah. And so you you talked a lot about radical candor and several other concepts. I haven't read that book. I've seen, I, I can picture the cover in my mind though. You know, can you give an example of how you've been using that and maybe some a success story or two, if you have one? Yeah, sure. Um, it's interesting. And I, I think um, the way I sort of always see a success story is when I'm able to get my associate strategists, all the folks that are working with me also start using that in their own ways of working. And it's interesting, we were doing a project and, you know, sort of I had set the vision and I was sort of taking lead in terms of creating the content for it. And I was talking to my senior strategist and she was like, no, I think this is the way of working. And I was like, listen, we don't have time. We got to go with what I'm saying, right? And she's like, you know what? I agree to disagree with you on this one. I'm going to create an alt and let's put it in the discussion and see mm-hmm. what comes up. Bless my heart. I swear at that moment, I was like, that, my work here is done. <laughs> this is it. This is the moment where she's been able to challenge me directly, tell me that, hey, this is the way you're doing things. And perhaps that doesn't work here. But care very deeply because she's like, listen, very much. I understand what you're doing. Um, your lead on the project let's present it, but I'm going to also create an alt so that it's not on you, so that we're almost collaborating. We're almost doing things together to present something new to the clients. And I appreciate that coming through because I think it is something I would have done in my previous uh, positions, but having my associates sort of play that back to me was Mm -hmm. actually extremely comforting because that's when I was like, oh, lesson learned, right? Like now things are actually moving where uh, you can have that relationship of equality and have a conversation where we're working towards a goal, not um, working towards keeping each other happy. Yeah. And if you're if you're trying to develop your staff to basically embrace these principles and so that you want to hear it back, I mean, was that intentional or, you know, when you're hearing your um, your staff member kind of kind of push back a little bit. Was that surprising, a little bit difficult to kind of swallow? I mean, what was it like the first time when you're trying to use these skills? I think um, for me, it wasn't challenging. I think it's something that I had um, sort of embraced because I absolutely happily push back on, uh, you know, folks that I work with in the C-suite, work with my clients. So it was actually great. But what was surprising was someone who is, perhaps not, you know, the most forthcoming when it comes to owning her voice and talking about things and challenging, hearing them say it first time. I think that was what was surprising, but also extremely heartwarming. Mm -hmm. I was very happy and proud in the moment that she challenged me because I was like, 
yeah, like that's how it has to be. That's how this is how things work, right? And you're not supposed to be sort of, you know, hey, this is the box we are going to live in. You always need to expand. And I feel like she brought in a lot of her own thinking in that moment and took ownership of something. So, I, I mean, for me, it was extremely uh, heartwarming, but I, I can sort of sympathize with people being like, oh my God, there was pushback from someone who <laughs> near from me. So I, I get it. But I think one has to embrace the fact that that's how leadership looks like today you have to sort of willing to let go of you know hierarchies and all of this like top-down um you know structures and whatnot yeah i would agree i mean it's 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 very much modern to to try to empower people and give people a true sense of autonomy you're actually going to get better quality work so maybe the other the other side of the coin is well i'm not worried about the reaction but how do you get someone who's a little bit more naturally collaborative or sometimes if they are like um speaking up they're really cranky about it it's when they're upset like how do you get them to start developing or see that the need for this skill in themselves yeah no such a good question i think one has to have a tremendous amount of patience and you have to put yourself in the back seat you can't be the driver and also the captain of the ship and sort of have that cranky uh, first man you know sort of wanting to take charge <laughs> so you have to let them take the wheel it's fine you know in that minute let them take a lead um the other problem a lot of uh, leaders i feel suffer from is this idea of perfectionist tendencies right like it has to land right the mm-hmm. first time like there are no so I, I i love in the tech industry people talk and celebrate mistakes yet in reality that very that doesn't happen very often people want to like land the right thing in the right moment without any you know sort of everyone should agree in the first go um and i think that's what you have to allow for you have to allow for that little bit of craziness to come through let people make a mistake and then you hit there just back it up it's fine like it'll get course corrected the next 15 times they do it you'll work well the first time you have to let them sort of do what they want to because i think it's it's almost like that crankiness needs to get out of their system yeah right like it's it's this virus that needs to just like sort of get out sort of mutate and explore itself shouldn't be talking about viruses in this day and age but whatever uh you know you just need to get that uh bit out from people and then sort of be like all right now we're on an even keel what do you think could have gone better what do you think could be something that we can explore um, in the future. The other thing I've realized very importantly is, yes, everyone talks about feedback loop and all of these like performance reviews and all of that. There is nothing more important than giving timely feedback. Mm-hmm. When things happen, when things go positive, absolutely praise in public. When things go wrong, sort of chide in private, have that conversation, have that tough conversation, course correct in that moment, privately with that person. But do it in that moment. 15 days later, it doesn't matter. So I think that's the other thing. You have to sort of get that crankiness, let it play itself out, 
do that course correction. And then I've had multiple folks work with me across agencies, across industries, and it always works itself out. Yeah. When you talk about kind of giving feedback in the moment, a lot of times we think about the kind of the order or how they'll receive it. So, you know, you may witness something as a leader on a client call and say, well, I'll, I'll address it my one-on-one or I need time to think about it. But you brought up an important point, which is by day 15, so two weeks later, the feedback is actually not as valuable if it even is valuable at all. So how did you learn to start transitioning to a always in the moment, always feedback model, you know, because the, the giving praise publicly and, you know, criticism or opportunities publicly or, or yeah, privately that has been said before, but it can be a little bit differently when you're trying to actually get into that habit. Yeah. And I think uh, it's just what we learn as we go along. I think that's been part of my leadership journey as well, right? Uh, making sure that every time there is something that I am presenting, etc., I take a minute uh, to sort of reflect back into, you know, there is always the high of presenting and you're sort of hopefully like Simone Biles, land your uh, finish. But then after that, there is that moment of reflection. And I think um, as long as you're doing it with your own self um, as well as with others who presented, um, it's important. But I mean, I didn't read it anywhere. I just sort of knew that like things sort of have a half-life of, you know, feedback, right? So if you don't address it in that moment, if you don't uh, get, you know, get to that point and, and sort of, Actually, like here's a slide. Here's what happened. Here's how we should have done it. It, it that those slides don't matter anymore, right? So I think mm-hmm. it, it's just the practical aspects of feedback have to be sort of embraced. So we've covered a lot today. A few, uh, several different tools and techniques that you've been learning and practicing. Maddie, how does one that does so much for her team take care of herself? Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I feel like for me. A lot of like just reading and being able to sort of, you know, for me, when I read Radical Candor, it was interesting because I was like, oh, my God, I was doing that. But I didn't know that's what it was called. Right. Yeah. So for me, I think it's actually life affirming to read books like, you know, Kim Scott's Radical Candor, Dare to Lead by Brené Brown, all of this. So I do a lot of just reading. Um, things that I'm doing more recently is meditating. I think a lot of just, you know, good old fashioned, spend a few minutes every morning, write a gratitude journal, um, last thing at night, even if TikTok is the most like it's a clarion <laughs> call, stop watching it and take a f- five minute to say thank you to, you know, everything that went well. I, I feel like a little kid, you know, who was like, sit by their bedside and say their thanks. I think we kind of need to go back to our childhood and the things that we used to do, right? Uh, those are things that I, I'm embracing. It's not perfect, for sure. There are moments um, and times when things just do get to you. But little by little, I, I think the two few things that the last two years have sort of definitely taught us is you have to go easy on yourself as well. So yeah, some of the classics. So yeah. gratitude, meditation, time away from TikTok. 
<laughs> and reading. Reading, most most definitely. I think Will Smith were um, was talking about you should definitely read something because someone really smart has already thought of something and put it beautifully in a book somewhere. We just got to find it. So should keep reading, endlessly reading. And I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's good advice. And this is coming from someone who loves to collect books, but doesn't read them as fast as he buys the new ones. So radical candor is going to have to is going to have to be squeezed in there somewhere. It sounds like it's working really well. So yeah, there's something extremely practical about the fact. And what I really like about the book is the fact that she is not only cataloging what she did, but cataloging what leaders that she reported into did really well. And I think she learned it by example. So a lot of what my style of leadership and my style of management today is some things that I've learned from working very closely with the C-suite at my current agency and working with amazing leaders who, you know, really put others first and, and sort of you learn by example from them. Yeah. And just like you were talking about um, reading the book and rather than it being like, wow, this is brand new information that you're actually giving vernacular and kind of labels to what you've already been doing. You know, I really hope that some people, especially on this show, get the same thing from you sharing your story as well, because usually some of the best leadership practices, they're not these these crazy, like out of the box ideas. It's usually some kind of symphony of very, very classic um, essential principles just in a different flavor. And thank you today for sharing yours, Maddie. Absolutely. And I think as an Asian, and if there are any, you know, folks from uh, Southeast Asia who might be listening in, one of the things that we often have to struggle with is a lot of the Asian culture is about acceptance, about sort of not challenging your elders, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of the modern leadership skills, et cetera, are, you know, sort of part ways from some of that collectivism thinking. So I think, especially for people of color, I think I I feel very uh, strongly that people who come from those kind of, you know, um, very heavy family backgrounds, you, you sort of have to unlearn and relearn some of the socializations we've gone through as kids and as, you know, young adults. Yeah. So any any other advice or parting words that you want to give to maybe some other listeners that are trying to break the bounds of maybe, you know, generational, cultural kind of premonitions that automatically map onto leadership or leadership scenarios? Absolutely. I think the one thing one has to also shake out of is leadership is not because of your position. It's not because of your title or hierarchy. It is absolutely a mindset. You can be literally first year of your job, but if you have a leadership mindset, you'll automatically be able to take things because that's what's far more important, being able to sort of approach problems from a new mindset see things differently. And I think um, some of these skills are very much in the way we are working today, especially given, you know, how hybrid the work situation looks like. So I think even when you're listening to a, you know, conversation about leadership, take it in your everyday work rather than think of it as something that comes with position, etc. Very wise words. 
So Maddie, how can people find out more about you or keep up with what you are doing? Um, most active on LinkedIn. Uh, so look up uh, Maddie Gupta, M-A-D-D-I-E-G-U-P-T-A. Fairly active, reach out. And I am very keen to do mentorships. I, I mentor a lot of uh, NYU folks as well still. But anyone reaches out, I definitely say hello and see where we can take a relationship forward. Excellent. Maddie, thank you for coming on the show and sharing us some of your time today. Thank you so much, Jason. This was a fun. Thank you. So that we will have links to all of the references that Maddie brought up in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time. 